Welcome, Traveler's Blueprint community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the equanimist, Robert Demena. Equanimous? What does that mean? Equanimous is calm and composed. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> no, most of the time. I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen you get really angry or, you know, really... Mm really frustrated with something that you didn't lose your composure uh well i have but yeah thank you i try to keep my composure so i appreciate that um yeah so this this guest today is a really awesome one so he runs the youtube page known as the history underground and essentially what he does he travels around the united states and europe retracing the steps of some of the most significant wars and events in our history And today we discussed his time traveling through France and Belgium, following in the footsteps of American and I think allied soldiers during the D-Day invasion and the Battle of the Bulge. I think that's what we primarily talked about. But And some of the stuff from Band of Brothers. Yeah, so a lot of it from Band of Brothers. So if you're familiar with that HBO show, we, we got into Easy Company and, and things like that. And he's just, he's incredibly knowledgeable and passionate about history. And he has a, a really great way of articulating that information to you as a listener, as a follower of his YouTube page. And so he did not disappoint. It was an incredible conversation. Lots of history here, lots of information to break down. And so, uh, yeah, I, we hope you enjoy it. And before we get into the full episode, I do want to break down some of the stuff we have going on behind the scenes. One of the most exciting things is that we now have uh, our Traveler's Blueprint Become Your Own Travel Agent Tutorials. It's a five-part series broken down into various topics such as researching uh, restaurants, blogs, booking airfare, learning how to navigate your destination, being a more thoughtful traveler, which includes social norms and safety, and how to build your own itinerary. And that is available for pre-order right now at 50% off, so for 25 bucks, and it is only available for those of you listening. It is not marketed anywhere else. So please, 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 please consider doing that. We think it is really beneficial to anyone listening. I know, had I not known Bob prior to this, I would absolutely have gone through this tutorial, and it's really cool. There's a little surprise for you at the end. Uh, So... Next, we have our website uh, newsletter we send out every week, which gives you an update on our current guest, our next guest, and a previous episode, kind of a highlight reel. And if you sign up for that, you get a free travel cheat sheet. And then we also have our consulting services where you can sit down with Bob and go over your trip. He will either help you plan your entire trip out or pieces of it. And similarly... We will help you find cheaper airfare for a reduced price, and we don't ask for much except for a portion of what we save you. And then we have our Travel Around Table series, which we have shifted to the last Monday of each month. And that is a panel-type discussion where we look at different topics affecting the travel industry. And then lastly, if you um, are part of the travel realm or and are a travel influencer yourself please consider signing up to join our travel roundtable discussions and lastly the best way to get in touch with us the be- the best way to follow us and learn what we're doing is to check us out on instagram on facebook and for youtube you can comment you can message us you can interact with our us and our guests with videos and pictures it's pretty awesome so Without further introduction, let's get into the episode with JD and talk about the history underground.
Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. JD, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate so, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really appreciate you, uh, you coming on today. So I want to give uh, context to how you and I became uh, in contact with one another. And it was through – so I'm, I'm going – cycling back through a world war ii kick uh i've always been a i've always loved the history of world war ii but now i guess sort of with the lockdown we kind of my wife and i went back and started watching band of brothers we finished yes. band of brothers and now we're into the pacific which we're almost done the pacific so you might have to give me recommendations on where to go <laughs> next but i finished the episode on the battle of the bulge and as soon as i got done i just couldn't believe the just the, the the fight the battle that happened in what the Ardern forest uh the Ardennes yeah the Ardennes forest. forest and so what I did naturally I went to the internet to just learn as much as I could about that battle and kind of bring context to the episode that I watched and I stumbled upon your YouTube page and you visited the Ardernes and I watched this video of you walking through this this forest where this epic brutal battle took place and uh you you jumped down into a foxhole and you sat you know lowered your camera down and gave a visible view of the tree line and dude when i saw that man it like it 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 i i told you this in the email but it gave me chills even saying it i'm feeling it yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible and so i had i had to reach out to you and now here we are so uh, before we get into it, I want to just give you the opportunity to give your own story, you know, how you got into being this historical traveler, why you love history, and bring us up to speed on essentially your, your YouTube platform and what you're doing. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I've been interested in history, oh my gosh, uh, as, as long as I can remember. Um, so I, I guess... I come from a, like a family of history or, or storytellers uh, on both sides of my family. Um, so my, my grandpa on my dad's side, he was in World War II and uh, served uh, in the Aleutian Island chain up in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my grandpa on my mom's side, he was uh, in the Korean War and uh, you know, grew up during, during uh, the Great Depression and things like that. So, so growing up, my brother and I, um, we, we were constantly, you know, pressing um, pressing my grandpa for, you know, stories about uh, his time in the service and uh, what things were like during the, the Great Depression. Uh, and then in addition to that, my, my dad, he grew up, you know, during the, the height of the Cold War. Uh, and, and his big interest was uh, like space travel and the space race and moon landings and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, growing up, I was always watching documentaries with him and, and things like that. So, so I kind of had a a bug for uh, history at a, at a very early age. Um, as, as far as the, the YouTube channel goes, uh, the, the YouTube channel is a complete accident. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm in the, the education world um, and I've you know, tried to travel uh, you know, whenever, whenever I could, uh, whenever time and, and money allowed. I've been fortunate to have uh, you know, gone to some, some pretty interesting places, um, you know, in Central America, South Africa, you know, different places like that. And uh, there are a few places that I went where I just recorded a few things and uh, brought it back to, to show my students to kind of, you know, bring it into the, uh, 
the lesson and you know just oh be like a, a virtual field trip in in some way and uh, and they said hey you need to start a YouTube channel and I thought well, I don't know <laughs> if anybody would really be interested in watching you know any of the places that I go but yeah sure uh, I, I've also got a background in uh, video production um, you know in that in, helps uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so in addition to, you know, the education background, uh, I've also got the, uh, the, the video editing and, and production background. Uh, I've done a lot of work in the outdoor industry and, and still do. So anyway, I just kind of married those two things together and, uh, you know, started, started filming these places and um, it's, it's had this snowball effect and, you know, kind of steadily grew. Um, and then I guess it was in, late April or May of this year, um, I got an email from YouTube and it said, congratulations, you've been uh, named as a YouTube creator on the rise. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of nice. I had no idea what it meant. Apparently that means something because the channel exploded after that. Uh, <laughs> went on their trending page for a day or something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been really encouraging to me um, just to see the, the interest that people have in history. Yeah. So I, I just want to give some context to our listeners. Your YouTube page, which I don't think we've mentioned yet, is oh, called yeah. The History Underground. Yeah. And you just breached, today is November 8th, 2020, and you just breached 80,000 subscribers with over 5 million views. Yeah. And you started this less than, or about a year and a half ago in May of 2019. Yes. Yeah, complete accident, like I said. <laughs> well, it, I'm glad that you did this because the, your videos are incredibly informative. And something that I want to ask you before we maybe get into the history is your practices for understanding and learning and being able to articulate the history of the locations you're visiting. Now, oftentimes you're, you're walking and I don't know what type of camera you have or if it's huh. just your phone, but you kind of extend your arm. And whether you're walking uh, on Omaha Beach or you're walking through France or somewhere in the United States... You're kind of just, you know, moving along and, and there's just something very real about it and authentic, but the way you explain the history is really well and it really helps me, someone who has, you know, rudimentary knowledge on the history, put those battles and put that information into context. So what's your preparation method? So um, as, as far as the style, if, if I were being tasked with, you know, creating a, a documentary for History Channel or something like that. I, I wouldn't film it in the same way that, that I do the, the YouTube channel. Um, what, what I wanted for the channel was it to be kind of experiential to where uh, even if you couldn't go to these places, it's, it's kind of like you're just kind of hanging out with me along the way. Uh, so really in, in a decent number of the videos, you're the, the viewer is seeing things at the same time that I am, um, which I, can, can be dangerous uh, because it you know, can make me look like a complete moron. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then in, in other cases, uh, like you've mentioned, the, the series where I went to Normandy, uh, there, there was there was an amount of preparation that, that I put into that. Um, so. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, I, and that's, you'll, you'll notice on, on the episodes, I'll switch back and forth. Uh, sometimes I'm pointing the camera at myself, which by the way, my gosh, 
it is the most awkward thing in the world for me to do. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like such an idiot whenever I do it. Um, it's it's a shameless act. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I'm approaching a hundred episodes of the the History Traveler series, and and I still just feel like a, a complete goober uh, every time <laughs> I do it. But, uh, but anyway, and then I'll, I'll switch back to where you know I'm behind the camera, so it's you know kind of bringing the viewer into into the experience. Yeah, I, 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 first of all, I know what you mean. And even there was a part where I think when you landed in France, I was watching you and you're walking through the airport. And I was like, oh, good for him, because I feel awkward doing that. I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, Elliot, when we went to Peru, and I tried to do that and say, hey, you know, here I am. It's, it, it's, it's awkward. And you feel weird kind of doing that in front of people. But I think it's becoming more socially acceptable now. People don't really care anymore. But it's still there's an awkward. <laughs> yeah, there's not what like a-, a look at that fool over there. There, but ah, it's it's almost more common to see it now than not in a way at certain landmarks and locations. Oh you know? man, I've had I've had people laugh at me and uh-huh. you know snicker and everything like that, and just like you, you kind of have to get into your head, like okay, that's one person. I'm never going to see them again. I don't even right. know them. <laughs> right, right. So, this is something that I've said to Elliot that we kind of try to live by you have to to do something like this and put yourself out there you kind of just have to check humility at at the door yep yeah and that's it that's it you can't think about it if you think about it it's going to tear you down and and at that yeah what good is that going to (laughs) do Yep. (laughs) Um, all right so uh, elliot unless you had something i was going to try to get into world war ii let's get into world war ii all right one of it's one of my favorite topics to to review and I also had a World War II phase, Bob, um, but I was more interested not in the Western Front, but the Eastern Front, because one of my favorite books growing up, I, and I shouldn't say favorite, one that I found really interesting was Left for Dead, which was about the USS Indianapolis after it dropped one of the nukes off in mm. Japan, and it got torpedoed on its way home, and I think 90% of the crew had died, mostly not from drowning or the impact of the torpedo, but from being left out at sea because it was a secret mission and not being able to be found and then being eaten alive by sharks. I think of the 400 that survived the actual attack, I think only 20 or 30 made it out alive on the lifeboats. Yeah. Yeah. That's a terribly tragic story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a lot of these stories are. And so uh, let's, let's go into Europe. So obviously I think Normandy, I think France is, for at least the American perspective of World War II, plays a huge role. Um, can you just talk us through, I guess, your your experience in France, however you want to begin? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I've I've uh, I've led a couple of of different tours um, over in Europe, um, you know, like with high school age students, uh, kind of, you know, getting them into travel and you know, getting them on the ground where these historical events happen, things like that. Um, and, and one of those tours, we went to uh, Paris and Normandy and London. So, so that was, that was actually my, my first experience, um, you know, in France and, and going to uh, the beaches of Normandy. Uh, unfortunately, on that trip, we, we, we had an inexperienced tour guide and uh, it, 
I, I don't want to get into the, the details of it, but it, it really kind of soured the experience a little bit. Um, so, so I'd always wanted to, to go back. Um, and anyway, was um, getting prepared to do another one of these student tours. And uh, the tour company that, that I was working with uh, had this program where they were flying um, tour leaders over and uh, it's kind of like a conference of sorts. Um, and anyway, it was in Paris. So uh, my, my wife and I uh, went, did that, and then planned like an extra five days uh, that we were going to be in, in France and in Belgium. Um, and, th and that's what gave me the opportunity to kind of go back and um, really kind of experience it the, the way that, that I wanted to. Um, I'm not sure if that really answers your question. Um, it does, yeah. And so uh, you're in Paris, and did you immediately go to Omaha Beach? And what was your route? Uh, so we, we landed in Paris, and uh, we were in Paris for about two days. Now, as, as you watch those episodes, um, they, they actually go out of order from what my actual route was. I, I show all of the Normandy videos first uh, and then all the stuff from Belgium that's you know, like Battle of the Bulge, um, some of those sites. Um, the, the reason for that being is that there was a massive storm that was sweeping through the Normandy area of France and uh, they, they were getting torrential, they were gonna be getting torrential rains that they hadn't seen in according to the people that I talked to afterwards, they hadn't seen anything like it in years. It, it would have completely ruined that part of the trip. We, we would have just sat inside and watched it rain outside. <laughs> right. So I ended up having to, to make some, some quick adjustments. So anyway, the basic breakdown is uh, we were in Paris for a couple of days and then we drove up to um, Bastogne uh, whenever I, the, the video that you, that you mentioned where uh, I was in Foix, uh, Americans call it Foy, um, but where I go to all those different foxholes and everything, um, we, we had left Paris at about noon, got there around four, so I had a couple hours there, um, and then the next day, spent some time up around Aachen, went to Henri Chapelle Cemetery, um, and, and went to another place called St. Vith. Uh, where a big battle took place. Um, and then from there, went back down into France, um, spent a day in Reims, which in France, I think, I'm going to say this wrong, they pronounce it Roms or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and anyway, at that point, that's whenever we went to Normandy. And then okay. um, I spent two full days in Normandy, which was not nearly enough time. Um, but and, and the beach... Uh, how, how was it walking onto this beach? Now, I know today it's used as a normal beach, just as mm -hmm. you kind of see as on the Jersey Shore. Um, yeah. But, yeah, can you describe what it was like to actually step foot on this beach? So, going to uh, Omaha Beach and Sword Beach and uh, Utah and Gold mm -hmm. and Juno, you, you sit there and you look at it, and and honestly, it's... It's just a beach. It, it's it's a beach that's beautiful, just like hundreds of others uh, throughout the world. But what what gives it significance and what gives it weight 
is knowing what happened there. Um, it's just like it's just like any other you know memento or, or anything like that. Um, you know, some people they might bring home a, a rock from a trip that they want to. Well, right. It's a rock. I mean, it's 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 completely um, you know meaningless uh, unless it's attached to an experience that you had at a, at a particular place. So really that's what, what, what Omaha beach and Utah beach and, and all of those beaches along the Normandy coastline are. And um, whenever you, whenever you have immersed yourself in the history prior to going, um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty overwhelming feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, uh, one of the trips that we're required to take as elementary school students in Pennsylvania is to Gettysburg. Yeah. And we we go as sixth graders and this is after learning about all the battles and the immense loss of life, the over the course of, I think it was only three or four days, the amount of time it took to get there and building up to this big battle. And then after all of that, after maybe a month straight of learning about the civil war, we go to Gettysburg. They make us run one of the fields that the Confederates had to run uh, against the, the North. And they're, <laughs> they put it into perspective. They say only one out of 10 of you will make it out across this field. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, it's sixth graders. We're like, 12 years old. And, yeah. and really, if, if you didn't know the history behind that, you would go there. And it just looks like a field. a field. It's a field. Um, of course, at Gettysburg, yeah, they've got a lot of monuments there. But, but still, it's, it's not going to have that weight of memory mm -hmm. um, that, that it would have if, you know, you know, excuse me, if you know the history behind it. Yeah. And so part of that, understanding the history of, of D-Day and what happened there, um, and then seeing the beach. So something that I saw, everybody's seen a million times, depicted it mm -hmm. in pop culture, movies, TV shows, is right. is from the American perspective of being on the boats, uh, landing on the beach, and then essentially having to fight their way to the to the, the bank before they can make their way towards the bunkers. And right. that that short, I don't, I mean, I don't want to call it short, but that distance between the water and and where you have that embankment uh, was where. Americans lost their lives in significant um, in significant numbers. Yeah. When I saw you go climb up around to the top of the beach and stand in the bunker of the Germans and yeah. see the beach with the the this almost bird's eye view, this perfect layout of the beach, it made perfect sense how they were able to caused so much damage to the American yeah. troops as they stormed that beach. I could not believe it. That was the first time I've ever seen it from the perspective of the Nazis. And um, they, they had the perfect vantage point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and really, that's that's why that particular place at, um, well, at least at Omaha, was so highly defended. Because if, if, you, if you look to the east and you look to the west, and just specifically talking about Omaha here, it's it's bluffs straight up. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the, the German army knew, or Rommel was the guy who was um, placed in charge of, you know, constructing the Atlantic wall. They, they knew that nobody was going to land there. There was, there was no chance, but you get to Omaha beach or Utah beach. Well, then it kind of flattens out and, and it provides a place where uh, an invasion force could land. And uh, yeah, you, you get up there 
and, and you look at it from the German perspective. Well, I, I was at Point du Hoc with my wife. Um, so the, the story behind Point du Hoc is um, there, there were several, um, Point du Hoc is, is a place that kind of juts out into the English Channel. And uh, the Germans had uh, placed some, some large caliber guns there that had to be taken out on D-Day. Uh, what the Americans didn't know is that the Germans had actually withdrew those guns prior to the invasion. Um, but they, they sent in the U.S. Army Rangers and they were gonna have to scale these cliffs uh, in order to, to take this particular position. And uh, I stood there at the edge of the cliff and I looked at my wife and I said, how did we win? I, I, I don't understand how these men did it. Uh, I, I know the stories. I've read them. I've watched the documentaries. I've seen the movie adaptations. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Other than just sheer will and guts. And and was it numbers? Was it overwhelming them with, with our numbers? And how many men came onto the beach and they just couldn't hold us off? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was... Um, that was definitely a, uh, a big part of it. Um, at Utah Beach, uh, the, the Americans actually landed off course uh, and landed in the wrong spot. Had they landed where they were supposed to at, at Utah, it would have been much worse. Uh, so, wow. so casualties were uh, quite, a bit, um, quite a bit less on, on Utah. Uh, Omaha was was a slaughter and, and they just kept coming. As a matter of fact, Omar Bradley, who was in, in command of the, the US forces there almost called off the, uh, the landings there at Omaha because it, it was just, it was just an absolute, it was an absolute slaughter there. It's really interesting. I know, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of documentaries, but I have, I do like watching historical films or historical adaptations. Mm -hmm. So, like Dunkirk was a really interesting perspective from the yes. English bringing basically pedestrian boats over to try to rescue as many people as they could because there yeah. weren't enough military vessels to bring them home. And they were basically trapped on that beach surrounded on every front. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about World War II, which took place and I think was a major impact in us winning. And maybe I often think about how like the Utah beach landing was it, it appeared to be an accident but maybe it wasn't because of enigma that mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember that um alan turing yes. basically creating and breaking the uh nazi passwords or codes right. for encryption and not telling anyone until what was that the 80s it was like 40 or 50 years before anyone knew that the german encryption had been broken yeah, I can't. I can't remember when it was disclosed, like all of the the details about Turing's role in it. Um, but, but yeah, that 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 definitely saved a lot of lives. Yeah, but they couldn't save too many, otherwise it would have been known that they had the encryption. Exactly. Exactly. So it was yeah, just that's... enough to turn the tide. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I actually um, I, I can't remember what episode it is now, but in Chicago at uh, the uh, Museum of Science and Industry, they have a, a German U-boat that, that was captured. Anyway, I, I go there and see the U-boat and everything like that, but they have one of those Enigma machines there. Really? Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to have to go see that. I have family in Chicago, but I've never been to the museum. Oh, I oh, did yeah, go to the museum once, but we, were, we weren't there for a vast amount of time. 
Okay. Yeah, it's a fascinating place. Yeah. So so where else significant to World War II did you visit in France and Belgium that you want to talk about? Um, so I went to, uh, like I said, uh, Americans would pronounce it Reims, R-E-I-M-S, um, and, and got to stand in the room where the terms of surrender were signed um, to wow. end, end hostilities. Uh, now, there, there was a second signing that took place uh, the next day that, that involved the Soviets, um, but, but the initial one that ended the hostilities took place right there in Reims. Um, so, so that was, that was another place. Um, and also we, we've already mentioned, um, the easy company foxholes there outside of the, the town of Foy. Real, real quick before we, yeah, sure. can you give a, a brief summary of, of easy company and who they were and, and why oh, yeah. they were so significant to the war? Because a lot of your videos are tracing their steps, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I kind of forget that sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a history nerd and, and maybe not everybody is uh, <laughs> right, right. You know, quite, uh, quite as, uh, you know, in the I weeds. I don't know I am. the lingo. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the history of Easy Company, um, a company is, is made up of uh, about three platoons. So, so you're looking at roughly about 100 men. Um, this is a company that uh, was in the 101st Airborne. Um, they were one of the first of the parachute infantry regiments. So, you know, um, paratroopers. And uh, it was, there, there, were, there were hundreds of these guys that, that fought. Um, this particular company, uh, their story was picked up by an author named Stephen Ambrose. And uh, he ended up kind of telling their story. Uh, they, they started off training in Tacoa, Georgia. As a matter of fact, I've just released a video today uh, where I go to Tacoa. Uh, in the next video, I'll, I'll be showing like where they actually trained and go up the, the mountain that they ran up and down and things like that. Um, but they, they landed behind enemy lines, behind Utah Beach uh, on D-Day. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to condense all of this so that I don't get too <laughs> deep in the weeds here. Uh, long story short, they, they fought in Normandy. Um, and then they had a second combat jump in Holland in September of 1944. Uh, and then in December of 44, uh, whenever the Germans were making this big push uh, into the allied lines uh, to try and, you know, separate basically, the two, had, right? yeah, yeah, they were trying to, they were trying to separate the two. They were trying to get to a place called Antwerp in Belgium, which was a, a deep water port. Um, well, the, the 101st got sent into this area called Bastogne, where all of these roads come together and, and basically got surrounded uh, by, by the Germans. And um, of course, Easy Company was, was one of these. Um, they were under the leadership of a, a man by the name of Dick Winters, uh, who is just an outstanding uh, example of uh, a leader. Uh, anyway, from the Battle of the Bulge, then went into Germany and, and really kind of ended the war at uh, Hitler's Eagle's Nest in, in Berchtesgaden. Um, so anyway, Stephen Ambrose, you know, picked up this story, wrote a book about this one company, uh, and then that story was picked up 
by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, and they developed it into this HBO series in like 98, I'm wanting to say, uh, called wow. Band of Brothers. It's that old, uh, huh? It, it is, wow. uh, you know, no, 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 wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it was 2001. So, so it, was, it was filmed in the late 90s, I think. I, I could be wrong on that, but I think it was, it aired on HBO in 2001 um, and, and still holds up today. I mean, that to me, it's one of the greatest uh, series ever, ever done. Um, so anyway, that, and that's that's really what brought a lot of attention to Easy Company. Uh, they're, they're, what they did was amazing, but but they're really kind of a representation of thousands of other men who fought in that war. Okay. Yeah, he, um, for those of you that are from Central PA listening to this, uh, Dick Winters was actually born in New Holland, PA, and he moved to Hershey, after the war and lived there for a long time. And actually um, he's kind of from the Lancaster Ephrata region, but then ended up one of my friends from college actually used to see him and help him. And he actually ended up dying, I think nine years ago uh, in a facility in Campbelltown, which is, you know, 10 minutes from where I live right now. And it was just so wild to know that someone's so impactful in World War II was from this area and there are memorials all over the place for him. There are bridges named after him. It is really cool to know that history and see that representation in Band of Brothers. Yeah. And really uh, the reason that I hit a lot of those sites, one is just my own personal interest. I've, I've read all the books. Uh, a lot of those men ended up writing memoirs about their experience in the war. Uh, like, well, Dick Winters wrote his own book, uh, Shifty Powers, um, Babe Heffer and Bill Garnier. A lot of those guys wrote about their experiences and I, I've read about them. Um, but but I like to, to focus on those sites just because of the popularity of Band of Brothers. That, that kind of served as a gateway for a lot of people to, um, you know, start learning about, about World War II and, right. and what these men did. Yeah, I mean, like you said, when we were talking about D-Day or, or Omaha Beach, it's the context, right? And so mm -hmm. there is a lot of context because of Band of Brothers into some of these sites. And yeah, it, it, it's always fascinating to me to go to, to somewhere like Europe and walk amongst the uh, the cities and villages and forests and just uh, feel the history there. And they yeah. just live amongst it every day. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whenever, whenever we were there, um, we stayed in this old 16th century French manor. And, you know, we're, we're, so we're, we're staying in a place um, that also had significance during uh, World War II, uh, but is, is older really than anything that you would see in America. And, and it's, for them, it's a bed and breakfast. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, right, right. Yeah. Um, we, we don't know what old is over here. No, no, no. not, not a clue. No, no I, Ellie, I think I've probably told this, I think a bunch of times now I was in Abu Dhabi traveling with my wife and I, he asked me, I was checking into the hotel and he asked me huh. how I enjoyed the city of Abu Dhabi. And I was like, it's, it's beautiful. Everything's brand new. The architecture is amazing. It's like this modern city. And I was like, where I'm from in Philadelphia, uh, you know, everything's older. And he's like, yeah, where I'm from in Egypt, everything's really old too. And I was just like, uh, you, you got me beat there. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, it puts it in the context a bit. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> when I, Bob, you know this story, but I don't know if I've ever told this part of it. So I did a, I will say it again. I did four months in Bonn, Germany as part of a study abroad. And oh, cool. just south of Bonn is Remagen along the Rhine. And Remagen, I remember visiting the last bridge across the Rhine. And it, there's a museum there that you can see basically all of this stuff, understand the history of what happened there. And the bridge is no longer there, actually. But they talk about that was the last crossing the last physical crossing that was not destroyed across the Rhine to keep the front moving. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, kind of an interesting story with that. I was going to go to that bridge whenever I was there, but just simply didn't have the time. Um, that's that's going to be something for a return trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in addition to the, the History Traveler series on the YouTube channel, uh, I have another series called Echoes of War, where I've had this project where I've been going around and interviewing World War II veterans. Um, and, and I've got a few of those interviews that, that are posted. Um, one of these days I'm, I'm going to, to get more on the channel. But there's a, a gentleman that I interviewed um, who fought in the Battle of the Bulge at St. Vith in Belgium. Uh, long story short, his platoon was placed on rear guard security as the Germans were advancing. Uh, so in other words, they were put in charge of holding the Germans off while the rest of the, the outfit withdrew. And uh, he ended up getting taken prisoner. Uh, so, so I've got his story. You can watch that whole entire interview uncut uh, on the channel. Um, wow. In one of those uh, episodes, uh, what's it called? It's it, my gosh, it's my channel. You think I would remember the name of it? <laughs> uh, I think it's called Battle of the Bulge in, in St. Vith. Um, I, I worked with a local historian there. We went through tons of documents, old maps, morning reports, and everything like that. Long story short, we, we found the patch of woods where he was captured, and I go to that spot and then call him from there and have him kind of guide me around and, and say, okay, no, there was kind of, is at the edge of a field or there was more of an open set of woods. Uh, and we found the old foxholes where, where his platoon uh, wow. was at. But anyway, wow. to, to bring this all back around to Remagen, um, after he was captured, um, he was marched across the, the bridge there at Remagen um, and, and spent, spent the duration of the war as a, a prisoner of the German army. Wow. Amazing story. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I can't believe he was able to, I mean, I guess I, I can too, that he was able to tell you where to go and he remembered it enough the, to this, direct you over the phone. This this man's memory is phenomenal. Um, so I, I, he, I consider him a good friend now. Um, he's 96 uh, right now. Wow. But I, at the time that I did the interviews with him, I think he was 93. Okay. And it took a while for me to convince him to let me interview him on film. Because um, yeah. even... You know, all these years later, it's it's fresh. And uh, I, I made the comment to him. I said, Reed, I said, man, you, I said, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I said, but you're in your 90s and your memory is phenomenal. Like he can tell you, um, you know, on, on September 22nd, uh, our unit got the call to roll out. We went up to this place in Holland. I mean, he can tell you just all these details. And I said, your, your memory is phenomenal. 
And, and he kind of teared up and he said, when you see the things that I saw, you don't forget it. Yeah. 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 If we, if there's anything we know about memory, it is a memory is much stronger when it's tied to emotion. Yeah. 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 And, and really kind of, kind of bring that full circle here. You, you go to these places and whenever you have other people's memories of these places, they're not your memories. Obviously you weren't there. I wasn't yeah. at the battle of the bulge. I wasn't in Normandy, but, but whenever you have other people's memories and you can empathize with that, um, that's, that's what makes the history real. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, and that's try it's what I try and do with the channel. Um, it's, it's one thing to, to read it in a book. Um, the, the next level is to, um, to maybe have, have, have somebody tell you about it or show you pictures or show you video of their experience. And then, and then the, um, probably the most impactful level is, is to experience it for yourself or see yeah. it for yourself. Yeah. Empathy, empathy is probably one of the most powerful tools that we have. Right. Right. Absolutely. Wow. So, so where did you go? Um, where, where else did you go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on, on, on that particular trip, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. So, so on that particular trip, um, I, I also saw some of the, the German defenses uh, along their border that they had built. Those are still there today. Um, went to a few cemeteries. I'm not sure if you're familiar with something called the Malmedy massacre. Um, no. But no. during the, the battle of the bulge, there was, everything was just absolutely chaotic there. And um, long story short, there, there was a, um, a unit of uh, German SS troops that, that bumped up with uh, a group of Americans and uh, ended up taking them prisoner. I say taking them prisoner. Um, they, they ended up lining them up and just massacring them right there on the spot. Um, so anyway, I went, I went to the place where, where these U.S. troops were, were killed and, and went and visited some of their graves. Um, yeah, and I, I was wanting to hit some World War I places uh, on, on that trip, but those, those plans kind of fell through on me um, inadvertently. So Yeah, World War I is something that I often get confused with World War II, mm-hmm. and I often, I often mix up who the actual... Uh, teams if you will <laughs> the allies yeah. versus the who who were the enemies who were who, i don't even know who the united states forces typically fought with um mm-hmm. but even the technology was vastly different oh, yeah. from 20 years later yeah yeah absolutely um so w- world war one was just exceptionally nasty um uh, just in in the style of fighting um, that, that they were doing. And, um, you're, you're really seeing the first truly modern war uh, at that point. So we're seeing machine guns for the first time. We're seeing tanks, uh, we're seeing aerial combat, you know, for, for the first time. Um, and, and you can still go there and see, see the remnants of, of those old trenches. Uh, the, the one thing that really separates world war one from world war two uh, probably, if, if I'm just getting it down to the most generalized level, is, is World War I was more of a static war. Uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of movement. It's, it's all right there in northern France uh, and, and southern Belgium, and they just kind of dug down into those trenches and um, 
and stayed there. Um, what what was the movie? Wow, this is awful. 1917. Yes, 1917. Incredible movie. It's probably that, one of the better World War One okay. movies that's Ooh, ever been made. That is, that is on my list. I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I really like that movie. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, you you read you read the memoirs of of the men who fought in in that conflict. Um, and I, I haven't had an opportunity to go to any of the places uh, I was supposed to go. Actually, was in Verdun. Hmm. But um, this this is an area where my lack of preparation and my lack of research really kind of bit me in the butt. Um, a- after we left Belgium, uh, we went down to Verdun. So this was in February. This is right before the earth shut down. Um, so so we, we go to Verdun and I got there probably eight o'clock at night. And we thought, oh, you know, we'll just drop in, we'll get, we'll get a motel and, you know, next day go to Verdun, see all the things there that, that there is to see. Um, it turns out that in, in France, at least at that time of year, in some places, it's, it's not like the United States where there's somebody working 24 hours a day, uh, you know, in a, in a hotel, they, they had shut down and, and like the whole city was shut down. Uh, gas stations were shut down. Um, the, motels were shut down we did find one place that had like a you could enter a credit card and then it would spit out your your key um my credit card wouldn't work in that area so i was making phone calls and saying (laughs) what's going on why is my card not working the credit card company saying no everything's fine um went through that turns out that i guess the local merchant in that area just didn't accept the card so that's why i didn't do very done we ended up just Mm -hmm. having to leave um because I was going to have to spend the night in my car otherwise. But are you are you making plans to travel to other parts of the world for for uh, either World War One or World War Two? And specifically, do you have any plans to do the Pacific? Because as I told you, as I mentioned, I'm <laughs> I'm into that one right now. And as I'm watching it and thinking about this conversation that we're going to have together, I I wanted to ask you. I mean, some of these islands are very remote. But yeah. what is it, Paleo? Hello, Pelilu, um, uh-huh. and yeah. it would be an incredible trip uh, to be able to experience those island nations now. Yeah, so Peleliu is quite high on my list of places to go, and um, the, the the series that you're mentioning, the Pacific, is is part of that reason. Um, so that that particular part of the series is based in part. Uh, on a book written by a man named Eugene Sledge called With the Old Breed. Mm-hmm. I read that. Yeah. Oh, you read it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hands, yeah. In my opinion, hands down, it's the, the best World War II memoir ever written. Really? Um, yeah. I, I, anybody that asks me, I always point them to that book. Huh. Um, but but I really like to go to Peleliu and I would really like to go, I, I want to go to Okinawa, um, but I've been talking with a guy who's over there right now and he said that it's it's so built up that a lot of the battleground is lost mm. over there. There's still a few things that you can see, but not as much as what. What about Iwo Jima? I, I do want to go to Iwo Jima. The problem with Iwo Jima is access. Um, so I've I've got to find the right person or the the right hook up there because um, you can't just go. Um, but oh my gosh, I, w- I would love to go to Iwo Jima. Um, what are your thoughts on those films that Clint Eastwood did, The Letters from Iwo Jima and then Flags of Our Fathers? 
yeah, I, I thought those were both were both really good movies. Um, yeah. I, I I enjoyed both of those, um, you know, immensely. I remember um, when they first came out because um, they're both basically competing views, basically one side, American's perspective and a Japanese perspective. Yes. And um, they actually got more, they were more successful in Japan than they were in the United States. Yeah, I know that um, if I remember correctly, Letters from Iwo Jima was supposed to be like the companion piece to Flags of Our Fathers. Yeah. And Letters from Iwo Jima ended up being uh, kind of the more popular film. Yeah. Uh, or the one that was more well received. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I have, uh, I have an uncle who, who has passed away um, that served on a, on a destroyer and uh, was at the, the Battle of Iwo Jima and was part of the pre-invasion bombardment of, wow. of that battle. So, so yeah, I would, I would really like to go there. The, the big issue with the Pacific, um, at, at least for me, that's the limiting factor, is, man, it's expensive <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to get over yeah. to those places. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but, but you could go to Hawaii. <laughs> I, I've never been Midway. to Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to do Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pearl Harbor yeah. um, is incredible. That's one of the places I yeah. still want to go. My My mother's, I think her uncle or great uncle was killed in the bombing at Pearl Harbor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. That was a sobering experience. I did that actually. I guess it's, it was two years ago now. Um, but and that's the USS Arizona that's still in the bay. Still yes. leaking oil, actually. Yep. Yeah, you can take a ferry. You take a ferry out to this platform, and you sort of overlook the the sunken ship, and you can still see an oil sheen uh, coming from coming out of the boat and everything. And um, yeah, it, it it was it was an incredible place to visit. I highly recommend it for every single person living in this country to go see that. Thank you. I, I, yeah, that's, that's another one. I've never been to Hawaii. So, um, and I, I told my, my wife wants to go to Hawaii. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll make it over there eventually. I told her, uh, I want to go to, uh, the, the, um, the Pearl Harbor Memorial. I want to go to Pearl Harbor. I want to go see the USS Missouri, uh, maybe go to the U S cemetery there and then, uh, and then come home. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, the idea of, you know, hanging out on the beach and, um, you know, taking in the sun. That you might have to compromise. You might have to yeah. compromise. Yeah. I know. Might give her a, might give her a day uh, yeah. to be out on the beach. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you talk about a lot of these uh, places that, you know, for some people seem like out of reach. You know, the idea of going to, to Europe or, or going to the Pacific. If you're interested in, in World War II, um, so I like the channel, I cover all kinds of different history, uh, but, but World War II honestly is, is kind of a little bit more of my wheelhouse. There are a lot of places right here in the U.S. that you can travel to that are just incredibly interesting that, that you can uh, really take a, a deep dive into the history. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what the, what the uh, gap between us recording and, and this going going live is going to be but um here in a few maybe next week yeah next week or maybe the week after uh, I, I was just up in maine and um a lot of people don't know this but the u.s in preparation for a possible nazi invasion of 
our eastern seaboard, built a bunch of forts along the U.S. coastline. And you go there, and it looks just like Normandy. I mean, there no. are these huge there are these huge bunkers. There's observation posts. Um, it's it, it's insane. I, I was I was completely blown away by by what I saw, and it's in Maine, uh, and and it made me really want to explore some other. That's interesting. Areas yeah, like that. yeah. I, I know there's a there's a at least a naval base up in Maine that I'm familiar with that I've um, some coworkers that I know have been doing some work up there and it's extremely tight security mm-hmm. and i didn't even know there was really any kind of military presence up in maine that yeah. to that significance like it's a huge naval base yeah that uh so portland was the home of the north atlantic fleet in um in world war ii so one of the areas that i that i go to um you you think of world war ii you know taking place on these these distant battlefields there, there was a U-boat that sank a ship called the USS Eagle just nine miles off the coast of Portland. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the front, as far wow. as the Battle of the Atlantic, came, came right up to our shores. And, wow. And most well, people don't know that. Well, and, and, oh, man, um, didn't they fly hot air balloons or something into, into the, onto the West Coast and, like, burn portions of the forest? Yeah, yeah, that was the Earth. Japanese. Yeah, yeah that's, right. that's another. That's another fascinating story from World War Two. That that it also gets overlooked. Not many people realize that. Technically, I mean, I don't know if you want to call them call it a bombing, but um, yeah, the, the Japanese actually um, occupied U.S. territory during World War Two, uh, up in the Aleutian Island chain that I mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. where my grandpa was at. There were two islands called Attu and Kiska. Japanese took it over and we had to fight and take it back. Um, Yeah. But the idea was to come up that island chain, get into Alaska and and get a foothold on the the North American continent. Interesting. I I know San Francisco, the specifically near the Golden Gate Bridge, there is a fort that was built for the purposes of World War II or was it, um, was that built for a different war? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Because I, I, I remember there being cannons, but they looked like older cannons, not necessarily like howitzers. So I wasn't sure if it was... Oh, no. There it is. Uh, was of paramount importance during World War II. There we okay. go. Yeah, so you can even see stuff there that was never used, but it was still built. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of amazing things. What One of the, the forts that I went to uh, up in Maine... Um, I mean, actually saw some some action. Um, they they fired on a couple of U-boats and uh, hit one of them. It's it's thought that they hit one of them, and then that one made it all the way down to about South Carolina, and then sank uh, right there. So it actually fired its guns during the Second World War. Wow! And the uh, I had no idea. The caretaker of the island told me an interesting story. He he said they you know later on they built some houses there and things like that. One of the residents of the island took a trip to Germany, and um, the the name of the island is Cushing Island. He, he went into this this bar in uh, some town in Germany, had this T-shirt that said something 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 Cushing Island, and had a picture of it. And there was this old man in the bar that that, that walked up to him and said, "Have have you been to this place before?" And he said, "Oh, actually, I have a house there. You know, go stay there during the summer." 
and he said, uh, I was I was on a U-boat during World War II, and we were positioned right off of Cushing Island. We we ran up and down that coastline. Yeah, so he he knew all about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, pretty crazy. That is so wild. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I I didn't mention that in the video because the guy didn't tell me until I was about to leave. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's it, it's uh, again if I if I didn't know those stories, yeah, it's it'd be a cool trip to an island. Yeah, um, right. Whenever, whenever right. you whenever you know the history behind a place, it to me it makes the travel that much more interesting and, and that much more meaningful. Uh, um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever traveled to a place and then whenever you got home, you learned something about it and thought, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have known about that whenever I was all there. the time. All the time. <laughs> that's, that's a real reason uh, why we do what we do now. Yeah. yeah. That's a contributing factor uh, to yeah. learn about these locations because the history, it, it just adds so much to the to, to their significance. Something else that I found interesting too that I learned not too long ago about uh, what we developed here for World War II is the Intercoastal Waterway. Okay. Do you, do, are, you, are you familiar with that at all? No, give, give, give me a rundown. So, uh, man, I don't know exactly when it was constructed, but I pulled it up here on Google. So, um, But it's 3,000 miles of waterway, like a, a water channel completed inland. So... They say it's this man-made waterway that goes from Florida all the way up to Boston, Massachusetts. And this way they can run supplies during World War II without going into the open ocean. I never heard of that. See, okay, so right here, this this demonstrates another reason why I love doing these YouTube videos. Yeah. Because every time I post something, I, I'm I'm learning something new. Yep. Um, I, and it, which is kind of a misconception that some people have about the channel. You know, I'll post something and they'll be like, I can't believe you didn't include this, or I can't believe you didn't know about that. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm learning. I'm a right. lifelong learner, just like everybody. Um, yeah. It's so about sharing what you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so it starts, it was completed in 1949, June 18th, 1949. Uh, so it starts in the Anquiscom river and it ends in Brownsville. Uh, and, and then it actually connects through the Gulf to Tex to Texas. But yeah, I, I, I learned about that not too long ago. Uh, and then Elliot and I ended up on a layover in Florida and we actually sat uh, at a restaurant. That, yep. Yeah, we did. Right on the intercoastal highway or intercoastal waterway. So yeah, I've got, I've got a topic for another video. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You could sail the intercoastal waterway yes. one of these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. That's it's, awesome. Uh huh. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. So, uh, before we before we do anything, Bob, I do want to mention that the one of the most interesting things that I saw while I was traveling around Europe uh, during my study abroad was the concentration camps. If there's anything that World War II has left an impact on, it is those camps. And the one camp that I that really struck me and it gave me a really sobering perspective on the war and gave me some additional insight, you know, beyond Schindler's List style perspective was Dachau outside of Munich. And I remember walking through there, I think I spent about two hours and the entire time just having this pit in my stomach, not knowing how anything like this could happen. Yeah, I've uh, I've been to Dachau. Um, now it, that was on one of the student trips that I led. So it was before I had 
the, the YouTube channel or anything. Um, probably one of the heaviest and most haunting places yeah. I've ever been. Yeah. Um, the, the day that we were there, it was, I, I don't know why, we were about the only ones there. I think there was uh, one other couple. Um, and, and my group was relatively small. I think there were 15 in that group. Um, so we, we just like walk in and everybody just kind of scattered and, and did their own thing for a couple of hours. Um, but, but to go into that gas chamber and, and stand there, um, again, knowing what happened there, um, it, it, it brings a, a heaviness to it. Um, for sure. Yeah. To put it lightly. Yeah. It's something that, uh, band of brothers brought to my attention actually regarding gas chambers was that uh u.s soldiers were some of the first people to ever discover their existence and i guess you know we we knew what was going on but not in the detail not in the the full scope that it was actually happening and man um watching that and knowing that you know although it's a scripted tv show that these are actual this actually happened and that these young men after brutally fighting their way up to into germany stumble upon these concentration camps and see these people in the condition they were in and and you know they describe the smell and Mm -hmm. just the 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 nature of the place Yeah. yeah and what i learned about the concentration camps is that they were built even before world war ii started they were they were there um, basically as soon as Hitler got elected in thirty three and he started mm-hmm. building these camps for prisoners for they were even for physically disabled mentally disabled gay and people that opposed him and yeah. then and then it was used as Jewish con- concentration camps yeah yeah then yeah whenever they Oh yeah, like late thirties, early forties is whenever they really started cranking up that program. Yeah. Um, and so, so again, now, now we're tapping into another reason why I, I love studying history. Um, one of the most unfortunate things that I, that I come across all the time um, are, you know, people find out, you know, my connections with history or you know whatever, and. Uh, it's not uncommon for me to hear people say, oh my gosh, I, I hated history whenever I was in school. And, and within about two or three questions, I can kind of figure out why. And it's, they, they, they came into class, uh, they opened a book, uh, they read a section, they took a quiz, and then they moved on to the next thing. And it's just like the most dry, um, emotionless presentation of history. I, I mean, I would yeah. have hated history, you know, if, if I had been taught that way. Yeah, I had, it's I had some just content for content's sake to get through a curriculum. It's not, it's not with the intent of trying to teach. Yeah, but whenever, whenever you start learning about history, what what you're really learning about is human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in things like the the Holocaust, you're you're kind of tapping into some of the the darker elements of human nature. Now there, there was stuff going on in the Pacific theater with the Japanese that, that was equally horrific. Um, in, in the city of Nanking uh, in, in China, whenever the Japanese went in there, it's 
there's there's a book by Iris Chang that that details what the Japanese did, and it's it's so awful that that I don't even want to repeat it on on your podcast. Um, just just to give you some context, though, there was a a Nazi ambassador in China. Things were so bad with what the Japanese were doing with what they were doing to the Chinese that the 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 Nazi was wiring back to Germany, hey, uh, there are some awful things happening here. Um, so whenever it's shocking to the Nazi, uh, you you know that you know that it's bad. And I've yeah. I've talked to I've done interviews with World War II veterans um, who served in the Pacific Theater, who who were personal witnesses of what the Imperial Japanese Army did to the the local populations, and it's and it's awful. So anyway, you know, kind of getting back to that thing with with human nature. Um, uh, there's another book. It's called Ordinary Men, and it's about this reserve police battalion in in Germany. Um, that was was basically a part of um, the extermination of the Jews in in the East. Um, these guys were not hardened Nazis. They were not part of the SS, uh, none of that. These were regular guys who got called up into service, um, who were school teachers, who were bankers, who were, um, you know, just, just regular businessmen. Um, and when put in a certain situation, found themselves doing some very awful things. Uh, and really to, to me, wherever you look at history, um, and you look at what humans are capable of, it serves as a warning to, to all of us uh, to, you know, hey, be careful how you live. Mm-hmm. Um, because e- even the best of us uh, put in the right scenario might find yourself doing some awful things if you're not really paying attention. And, and the Holocaust is, is a, a tragic memorial to that. Yeah. I mean, if Hitler did anything right, it was being inspirational and motivational for people to do those horrific things. Yeah. And, um, I mean, really just, um, was, was the wrong man in the wrong place at, at the wrong time. Uh, Hitler in any other historical context, uh, if you, if you take Hitler and you place him in 1950 or you place him in, you know, 2005 or whatever, Hitler's a non, a non-entity. He, he's not a factor, but, but he found himself in just whether you want to say right place at the right time or wrong place at the wrong time, um, took advantage of, um, a tragic situation that, that Germany was in and, and capitalized on it and destroyed his own country. Yeah. Yeah. And Germans still, from, from my time there, they still don't really like talking about it and still feel guilty no. about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that'll, I think that'll take another few generations to, yeah. to shake. Um, yeah. But, yeah. It's, but it's, it's, it's important to learn about those things though. Here's um, a, a I, we're nearing the end of the podcast, but something, mm-hmm. this is more of a philosophical question, I guess, in yeah, a sure. way, or, or something that I, I want to ask you. Do you, how do you see, uh, as far as world wars go, um, or, or international uh, conflict, do you ever see anything like that happening again? No, 
I don't think so. Now, if we end up having World War III, you can't come back and blame me and say, well, <laughs> you were wrong. I, but, uh, I, I think with the introduction of, of nuclear weapons, um, I, I think that may have brought an end to the big, large-scale world wars. Um, anything anything that, that we've seen since then has been really localized conflicts. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, uh, the Soviet-Afghan War, okay? Everything has been, has been more localized. Uh, I, I'm not sure what it would take to, to get into a, a global conflict. Right. Um, so, I mean, er, earlier this year, uh, there, there was a you know, hashtag going around at World War Three. Uh, I think is in the context of, you know, Iran. It was, um, right, right. Yeah, but I, uh, I wasn't really worried <laughs> of, a, of a third world war breaking out. No, that's good. That's good. I, I like to hear that. <laughs> so far, 2020 is not over yet. Yeah, yeah. We, we still have a few months. To yeah. <laughs> what did I what did I hear about twenty twenty? I think Amanda was sharing this with me. Um, I thought it was quite comical. Is that if twenty twenty were a bath bomb, it'd be a toaster. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I found that very funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bob. You ready for some rapid fire? Yeah, so JD, at the end of yeah. every podcast, we do these rapid fire questions. Now, I, I do want to admit that we actually, we're, we're in the process of, I think, tweaking a few. Uh, okay. So we're going to run through them now. There's 12 questions. Sure. Or, or take as much time as you want. It doesn't really matter. There are no <laughs> right. rules to this. All right. I'll, I'll try and be as rapid with them as I can. <laughs> All yeah. right. It, Bob, I'll start with these. Okay. So what is the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word travel? Adventure. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Um, the first thing that came to my mind was barbecue sauce. Yeah, you hey. can't get that in France. It's not going to be. You're in Missouri, <laughs> it's, it's man. It's very yeah. different. That makes total sense. That's not going to be Missouri barbecue sauce. No, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, th- it may be the answer to your next question, though. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the quick answer there is barbecue sauce. <laughs> okay, I've already got it planted in my head now. This is if you I... can swim in barbecue sauce, you would be one of the best swimmers alive. I'd like yeah. to see that. That'd be awesome. I'm a terrible swimmer, so I'd probably drown in whatever the liquid I you put me in. <laughs> this is actually a new question. Who would win in a Who would win in a fight? An accountant or a banker? Oh man. I'm going to say that my gut, my gut says banker. Okay. Oh. I think All right. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Uh, coffee. Yeah. Yep. Say hello in your favorite language. Zdrosvice. Is that Russian? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. All right. I'm picking up. I, I speak Russian a little bit. <laughs> like it. Uh, if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, I like yeah. that. River of Doubt yeah. is an incredible book. Yeah. Uh, what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Um, I, oh, 
wow, this is this is a cruel question uh, to make it just one. Um, well, we got to keep it short. <laughs> uh, I, re I really want to go to Berlin. I haven't been to Berlin. Okay. Um, so that, that's that's pretty high on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Who is your biggest celebrity crush? My biggest celebrity crush? Holy smokes. Um, man, you have legitimately stumped me here. There you go. Um, my biggest celebrity it could, it could be a historian crush. it could be a historian <laughs> could be a uh, yeah president it, it could be a man too it doesn't have to be in a you know I, okay so if if we're talking like in a male female attractive context i'm going to say uh grace kelly i don't know <laughs> oh that's a good one we yeah. haven't had that one yeah did I ask that or did you? You asked that, Elliot. I, I think I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, you were, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Um, I really enjoyed my time in Kiev, Ukraine. Oh, mm. I have not been. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, one. Again, that was all pre-YouTube pre channel. Uh, but I've spent a lot of time there and um, really fell in love with that place interesting it's it's the the russian skills uh those uh, minor russian skills but. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and if you owned a yacht what would you name it um let's see if i owned a yacht i think i would name it broke broke because <laughs> I, I think <laughs> if i bought a yacht i'd be broke <laughs> yes <laughs> And the very last question, if you wrote a novel, what would it be about? If I wrote a novel? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm going to be the stereotypical guy here. Uh, we've been talking about World War II. I, I would probably have something um, put against the, the backdrop of the Second World War. Um, I think it's yeah. appropriate. Yeah. yeah. I think it's good. And, and JD, before we let you go, can you share all of your social media Websites, handles, whatever you want people to find you on and review your content. Yeah, sure. So uh, the the YouTube channel um, is youtube.com forward slash the history underground. Um, and I'm also on Facebook at the history underground. Uh, Instagram is at the underscore history underscore underground. So those, those are the main ones that I'm active on. All right. Okay. Awesome. We really appreciate your time today. A lot. And, and I think for, judging from what we, what you hinted at, it seems like you've traveled a lot more than we got into today. So we may have to get you back on <laughs> yeah. to, to do this again sometime, especially as you continue to grow your, your page and you travel more. We'd love to have you on, man, yeah. and, and go over it with you. I would, I would love that. Um, yeah. My, one of my big goals is uh, I, I want to take some people with me over to Normandy um, and do, do a group trip. I think that would be fun. I think that'd be a great idea. Absolutely. Love to attend. Thank you for yes, the invitation. And the invitation's also open for you when you come to Philly to, to check out the history here. You know, already know we have a ton of it. So yeah. let us know and, and we'll link up and, and show you around and enjoy the city together. Yeah, let's plan on it. All right. All right. Thanks, JD. Thank, thank you. This was incredible to me, this conversation, because... I've already had the idea to do something similar, and I'm sure a lot of people have. 
And, you know, anyone interested in, in, in history and travel together, especially, probably consider traveling to those locations to retrace and actually experience locations that are just so important to in to the culture and history of this country. And so the beach of Normandy, you know, the D-Day location is just a huge uh, place to see. And, and, and I can't wait to do that myself. And then concentration camps are another one that yeah. I want to experience. And now that I have a daughter and obviously I want to <laughs> just feed her everything that I'm passionate about and hope that she's as passionate about those things as me, but I, I would hope that when she gets to an age that she's interested in this stuff because I would love to be able to experience that with her and my wife and and take her to concentration camps and it sounds like the, like a you know a weird thing to do but I, I'm sure you understand you know from a, I understand from a learning your perspective intent. right yeah so I'm looking forward to doing that one day and it was really cool to to, to hear how he did it yeah and going to a historical location is way more impactful than learning about it from a movie from a textbook and i mentioned it in the episode but just in sixth grade going to the battle of gettysburg and reenacting some of those um, battles that occurred and feeling what it was like to be a confederate soldier versus a northern soldier it it makes such a lasting impact and i still talk about that to this day which is how impactful it truly was so it is really interesting. And it's not just American history, like going into different countries and truly knowing what you're looking at makes your experience so much greater. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's important to do the research. And I mean, not to do like a, a self promo right now, but that's kind of how we got into this to begin with. And that's sort of the, the driving factor behind our consulting service because we want to help you understand the place and do the research and and understand the landmarks that you're going to visit before you go. So when you step yeah. there and you're standing in front of whatever it may be, you're standing on the sand of, you know, the beach of Normandy, you know what happened there. You don't need to whip out your phone or or, or learn it there. You know already and you can really kind of uh, immerse yourself in that experience. Yeah. It definitely helps build anticipation. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Traveler's Blueprint. Uh, if you love the show and you want a way to support us, you can do one or two things or both of them. Um, the first would be financial. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month through our Patreon, and that is the lowest level that you can support us. If you want to support us more, that would be wonderful. And that is less than a cup of coffee. It is unbelievably low, and it just helps us pay for our software costs, pay for our subscriptions to help produce the show, and it goes into producing a better show ultimately. The other non-financial way is to simply support us on our social media pages or leave us a review on whichever podcast platform you listen on. And lastly, to every one of our listeners, you are really our biggest advocate, and we appreciate every single one of you that listens to us. We know we have some hardcore fans out there, and we really appreciate you. And we appreciate you sharing this. Word of mouth is the best form of advertisement. And we know you've been doing a great job because we've continued to grow. So thank you and tune in next week.